and welcome to Insemination. Today is going to be an Insemination First. This is going to be a two-parter episode. This next episode is going to be with not just a donor-conceived person, but also a product of fertility fraud, my very good friend, David Barry. David Barry is the biological son of Dr. Morris Wartman, who recently deceased in a plane crash. And I am so grateful that David is taking the time to walk us through the entirety of this incredibly complex story of how he found out he was donor conceived, finding out that he's Dr. Morrison's biological son, the entire just storyline of all of his siblings, and of course the legality issue, which is the fertility fraud legislation. So to honor the absolute obvious complexity of this story, we are doing a two-parter episode. So buckle up, buttercups, it is going to get intense. So let's dive into part one. And welcome to Insemination, David! How so, are you doing, my friend? Man, it's just so good to come in here and just be together to talk about this and all, all of this, this. <laughs> Do you know what I was actually, I was realizing recently that I think I would be a better person and my life would be like 10 times better if like once a week, if you, Jacoba and I just had got to have brunch together once a week, everything would be better. It would be better, right? right? We'd probably be seated like at some sort of diner with like old fashioned formica tabletops, you know, yes. eat, eating hash browns. I'm with it. Oh my God. Jacoba. Oh, Jacoba, J answer J our call. Jacoba, we love you, baby. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Jacoba uh, was the uh, person I interviewed in my second episode. Jacoba is the essentially head narrator of the documentary Our Father. If you've not watched it, please go watch it. Um, but yes, I am. I'm very. I'm so lucky that I have been able to connect with um, the awesome donor conceived community. But David, I will I will say that uh, I am very grateful for the special you know bond that you and I have also formed. You you have become uh, an, a, a, an amazing friend like within like five minutes. It really was <laughs> like we're we're friends. We we get. I didn't, have, I didn't have the time to to take it slow. You know, we just had to get to where we needed to be, and we're there. We're well, I think that does, you know, it, you know, it helps. Um, I feel like, you know, when I wear a sperm costume in front of somebody for the first time, that breaks barriers very fast. It's a fast. hell of an icebreaker. Yeah. I, a... In fact, I thought, well, I think I had a chance to meet you without sperm. That but is it was true. It was minutes, you know, like it wasn't a huge time for me to get to know you before you were sperm. But I agree. I think it really helped expedite the process and I'm, and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> Well, David, um, let's hop to it because this is going to be a hell of an episode. So um, just to give just to get everybody kind of on the same plane, David, you are not just a donor conceived person. You are also a product of fertility fraud and not just a product of fertility fraud. You are the biological son of Dr. Wartman of Rochester, New York, who recently died in a plane crash. That is correct. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Because this feels like a lot of complicated, emo complicated emotions. There, how are you there doing? There are a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's it's potpourri of of feelings. Just a little yeah. bit of everything sort of baked in there. For I, I will fill in context for anybody who perhaps is not as aware as as we are of of that event, which is to say, Doctor Doctor Wortman was killed uh, just just two weeks ago in a plane crash in Western New York. And I received that information like, like a lot of people did, which was shock. 
Um, and I feel like that is probably the most overworked, overused, overworked um, adjective <laughs> that probably happens in, in our, our collective space. But when you think about, and I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of this as we go, like the process of things that we've uncovered over the course of several years, yeah. I remember confidently saying to, you know, to friends and peers, I don't think anything else can surprise me. I, and I genuinely, <laughs> genuinely believe that. I was like, no, we've, we've covered all of it. And then to hear that news was just like, you idiot. How dare you open your mouth and suggest that there's nothing left here that can surprise you. It was just like, of all the things I, I you know, I could have had on my bingo card, this was, this was hardly it. Um, and, and I say that you know, oh with, with, some, with, right? <laughs> with some lightness, but I have had two weeks to digest the the feelings, the the experience of it. And one of the, you know, there are several lenses that I try to put this through for myself. The first is if he had not died in a plane crash, if he had died that day of natural causes, would my, would my reaction be, be different? And, and the truth is I'm, I'm still not sure. I know that the shock it's of been a, a plane two crash weeks. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that this is still, the wound is still exceptionally fresh. We're still putting bandages on it. Right. Uh, and, you know, People have asked me, and I and I'm going to do my best to give an answer to it now. How do I feel? And the truth is, I. It's a lot like how I experienced him in life is is similar to how I feel about him in death. In death, and this is its ambivalence, which is to say, and I know this is a taboo for a lot of people who are in my shoes and and others like me to say, this is not an altogether negative thing that has happened, because I am here. And I possess qualities that I live with every single day that I feel are extensions of who I am. And there is no denying that in some way, shape, or form, at least 50% of those qualities on a genetic spectrum were brought by him. And I can never undo that. That's something that I will always wrestle with because there are parts of it that I'm, I, I like, I'm happy with who I am most days. Um, but I also have to recognize that Part of who I am is a genetic mirror of someone who I and a lot of others have many misgivings about. And the hard thing about this, and what will always be true, and certainly perhaps more so in death, is recognizing that those two things have to coexist, that there are two truths that would seem to kind of be in conflict, but they are not. And I live... I. I'm a you know a living example of of what those two truths are, which is gratitude for for my life and total misgiving and 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 anger toward not necessarily exclusively myself, but certainly for for my mother and and some of my half siblings who've had if if you can think about it less dramatic stories or actually I'm sorry even more dramatic stories than I have had even in their their same familial circle and. Yeah, it's it is complex, um, which is perhaps not a great answer, but it's no, the one that I've got today. But that's no to me that that is a good answer because that's what it is. There there is no way we can talk about what this is. There's no way that we can talk about any of this donor conception infertility. There's so much nuance and complexity to this. Yeah. And yeah. your answer to me was a very good encompassing feeling that I feel like a lot of donor conceived people wrestle with, especially yeah. the thing that a lot of donor conceived people wrestle with when they find out their donors are not really great people. And unfortunately, yeah. you are one of the people who has a 
particularly not great donor. Um, and I donor, I don't even feel like is the right term for for what you know for what you have, but supplier, supplier, uh, forcer. I don't know what the right word is, but Both are uh, accurate. Ugh, yeah. And because so many of us find out because donors are typically really propped up in our society of like, look at the good that they did. Look at the gift that they gave you. And then the and so we always have that sort of cooking in the back of our head only to find out when we're older that for again, not everybody, but for a lot of us, uh, including myself, our donors aren't great. They're actually pretty. They're not great individuals and i kind of and i not i not i kind of i do believe that this uh how the infertility industry recruits donors um particularly yeah. attracts donors with not great intentions again some donors are great and i don't want to put down all donors because some donors really actively donate with altruistic purposes i'm just saying that a lot of donors don't do it. And the industry yeah. attracts that. And then obviously, particularly in your case and in many other donor conceived people's cases, you also have the fertility fraud aspect. Um, yeah. And just to make sure that this is underlined and everybody understands in case they are confused, fertility fraud is when a doctor purposely switches out the chosen donor uh, DNA um for their own or any other that they feel like and dr wartman is one of the doctors who switched out the chosen donor sperm for his own and how many how many siblings do you have you found so far should have a better count um but the last i knew there were 18 if you include his known children the the daughters that he, you know and and children that he raised um you know with with his wife and wife plural uh because he's been had been remarried so yeah, to the best of my knowledge, that number is is eighteen, including all of us. And however, um, and I'm sure you've alluded to this, but fifteen percent generally seems to be the the accepted number of the number of people who've actually taken some sort of a commercial over the counter, you know, DNA test, which to me always means that the real number is at a minimum seven to eight Six. times that because yeah. people have chosen not to get tested. So eighteen is is enough to feel disoriented by uh, yeah. Jacoba. I, if you're listening, I hope I never to catch your number, which is north of 100 now. Uh, oh, yeah. No, Jacoba. Um, yeah, no. Uh, some new siblings have just found their way into the Dr. Klein pod. Yeah. Just there they are. Yep. Fantas so more, more, more is going to be coming forward. But yeah, more more of recently they've they've been connected. Yeah. Um, and it's you know, that that's the way it's going to be. And I'm sure the same thing is going to be for you and your pod. You're slowly going to find more and more siblings. But what yeah. I would love to do is start at the beginning of your story. Let's go through this. Um, so let's start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start for all of my music theater nerds out there. When did you find out that you were donor conceived? It was September, September of 2017. And it was a couple oh, days no, before. Oh, no, you are another geriatric discovery. Yes, Not yes. Not just I'm a, late a, geriatric. A late bloomer in so many ways in my life. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that on another podcast. I, that's when I found out. My, my journey into this began uh, at Christmas nine months prior. And it's funny when you sort of start to unpeel all of your decisions and kind of think about what your motivation was. It actually starts with a pretty funny story. My sister, uh, her then boyfriend, is uh, is now married to an Italian American, and 
I'm from Rochester, New York, which you had mentioned, and and I also want to call out Laura High knows Rochester quite well as a as a Nazareth grad. Ah, uh, yes, I I know I know the Wegmans and I know the garbage plates oh too it's, well. It, you, it's everything you need to know. So if you haven't been to Rochester, you Laura has just covered it for you. Oh yeah, no, um, that that's uh, and I mean we won't mention the snow. The snow, I I if I never see snow again in my life, I will be a happy individual. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> be I feel fine. the same way. It's actually I can handle the snow. It's the gray that I can't handle. Oh. God. It's the the fifty shades of it, but anyways, <laughs> I um so certain parts of Rochester where where I'm from have high Italian American population concentrations. In particular, the ironic name for the town I'm from, which is Greece, there's not a very big Greek population there. There is a very large Italian American population. So I provide that for context, which is to say, my sister's then boyfriend is telling us a friend of his, Italian American. Italian coat of arms, like, you know, tattoo on his shoulder. Oh, like, my God. I'm, I'm, I've not met the man, but I imagine he's got like the leather jacket, like yeah. the, the chains and the whole thing. You know, he's mm -hmm. all about it. Takes a DNA test and he is Irish. He is very not Italian. And so this is not. You oh, know, no. Maybe is he like going to get retattooed? I don't know what to do about that for, for the poor guy. I, I look over, you know, to my my parents and, you know, talking to my dad who to this day, for better or worse, does not know a lot about, about his family. Uh, his mother, he knows a little bit more about, but his father passed, I want to say at the age of 41, when my father was six or seven years old and never really had much of a, a relationship that he remembers with his dad. So Barry, my last name, B-E-R-O-I, not a super complicated name to figure. Pop it into the Google machine. It's it's Irish or or um, or British, mm -hmm. for, most likely. And but I'm like, well, dad, you know, like I, if I take this DNA test, like we can really find out for sure, you know, like where, where your dad's from, oh, like no. awesome. Right. Oh, God. And so I, and it's on sale and I order it and I, you know, I show, you know, the phone to my family and my sister's like, you're such an asshole, which is my sister's lovely, loving way of saying, I'm the only type of person in our family who's going to like send himself on this self-assigned voyage to go figure out something that nobody's asking for. So I kind of forget about it. And then I see, as everybody does, an Ancestry.com TV commercial, I think, in March, um, the following spring. And I'm like, right, I sent in my test. I should try to log in to see if my results are there. <sighs> and and they're there. So I, I open it up. And I want to clarify, you know, again, if you're listening to this, you've probably are either aware of this ex experience or you've gone through it yourself, which is the first time you go in, you don't really know what you're looking at. And I know Ancestry has actually changed, you know, in the years since I've used it. The first thing that I see is this very big map. Mm -hmm. um, and it tells you, you know, percentages of, you know, of your, uh, you know, your DNA makeup. And part of it makes sense, um, which is I'm German and Dutch on my mother's side. And that sort of reinforced what I understood. And but then so on my dad's side of the family, the, the question mark side of me not really knowing, uh, it shows that I'm 52 percent Ashkenazi Jewish. Now, Mazel, I feel, my friend. Mazel, I, I feel reasonably well versed in in some of the language, but I have to confess, in 2017, in the spring of 2017, I didn't know the difference between an Ashkenazi Jew, Jewish person and a Sephardic Jew, for example, or yeah. know, whatever. Um, so I like I had to Google what is what does Ashkenazi mean for the purposes of where are they from? Yo, I had um, to do the same thing when I first found out as well. I I, I found out 2015. That I was half Jewish for the first time, and that was, and I was like Ashkenazi. What the, what the, what, what is that? And I, and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. But yeah, no, that, uh -huh. that, you know, I had to look that up too. I didn't know. 
at first glance, it doesn't make any sense. But I start poking around and it'll tell you most of the countries of origin that comprise this, this ethnicity. And it's never 100% certain. It's just based on the volume of data that they have at the time. And, and you look in there and you can see some Germanic and Eastern European countries. And I'm just, you know, again, you're rationalizing based on the stories that you've been yeah. told. So I'm like, ah, all right, well, maybe dad's family was from Germany. I, I don't know. Like I can, I can make sense of that. The part that I cannot make sense of is that I have a very close DNA match and uh, her, her name listed in the thing is M Helquist, I think. Uh, and it says we have 1500 something centimorgans in common. Again, a word that I had never heard before. I had to Google what is a centimorgan and what does it mean, you know, mm -hmm. inside of ancestry. Um, and at the time ancestry, I think has changed this practice, but it projected us as either she was either my aunt, my first cousin, or my half sibling. And wow, like, it gave all of those choices. It gave all those options. It was like a buffet. Wow. You know, it's was like, I'm at Ponderosa back in the 90s. This oh my a big God, that's for hysterical. Me. So, so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, well, she's not my, my aunt. I'm, I'm older than this person. Um, that I know that happens, but it seemed very, very unlikely. So I go to the things that seem most plausible. And then I also rule out half sibling because I'm thinking, no, like my parents had struggled to conceive. I knew that my parents were married in 79. I was born in 84 and I knew that they had struggled to conceive when I was born. That was a big deal. And I mean, cause look, <laughs> jokes aside. Um, and I know that between my sister who was born six years later, they had had a miscarriage um, basically smack in the middle of that around year three. So I was like, there's not a scenario where my, my you know, one of my parents would have been out there doing anything other than trying to start their own family. It was what I, yeah. believed and and then landing on half uh or first cousin that immediately started to click in place for me i had an uncle who got out of the marines in the early 80s and didn't get on his feet as easily i think as, as he had hoped um when he returned and so i'm thinking who's the type of person who would you know maybe need a few extra bucks to to donate sperm who's healthy and young or whatever oh, i'm like okay i'll bet you i'll bet you it's i'll bet you it's my uncle who All you know right. is is connected to her somehow so, and I, I won't belabor all of these details, but I do end up exchanging some messages with uh, M, who happens to be Morgan uh, Helquist, and we, we were sort of playing a game of chess a little bit. Um, a I lot like being on a see that. Okay. A little bit of backstory. So th this is just how the, the world is so small. I went to college with Morgan. And yes. so I met Morgan. Morgan was a senior. I was a freshman. We were in vagina monologues together. And we found out, I want to say like 75% of the way through rehearsals that we were both, that we were both sperm donor babies. And we both were the first other sperm donor, donor conceived people that we had know. ever met. And it was this moment of holy shit. And I remember specifically Morgan looked at me and she was like, do you ever do the thing where you look in the mirror and you look at like the features that you know are your mom's and you try and figure out what does your dad look like? And I'm like, yes. And it was the first time I heard that kind of validation. Wow. And, um, and so the, <laughs> it was just, it was a very, very incredible experience. So it was like, there was always a, a very special connection with, um, Morgan, um, but when you're saying that, like you and Morgan, like we're playing chess together, I, I'm like, yeah, no, that 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 makes sense because Morgan is that 100 percent that like very incredible like 
shrewd kind of human being where yeah. she is going to absolutely make sure that you know she she knows exact who who you are um and what uh, what is going 100%. on and i love that about her yeah. okay so keep and, going and, and credit to her because so i'm going to i'm going to tell you information that i didn't know when i was having conversations with her Morgan had, number one, she had known she was donor conceived. She did tell me that through our, our first exchange of messages and that that was part of her origin story. So I didn't hear that thinking, oh, well, I, that means I'm donor conceived. No, I was thinking whoever it is that's, you know, in my family that has yeah. made us, you know, connected, that's probably her biological father. In a literal sense, that is true. Um, what I didn't know at the time was that she had developed uh, more than theories. She had some some real solid guesses as to how I was related to her. Mm -hmm. um, I had landed on, like I said, on first cousin. I spoke to my parents about it as might be expected. And in, in and I'm, I don't want to say like credit to them, but in, in the reality of the situation was that she hadn't really been speaking to her brothers as often during that period of time. Um, and so she was like, well, look, I, I would prefer if you don't go digging into this because I don't, I'm not trying to you know, ruffle feathers and stuff like that. And again, that, that made sense to me. So Morgan and I exchanged, you know, a handful more messages over, we'll call it the next six weeks. And I, I know let it go. Um, fast forward to September of, of 2017. Here's another wild card. My wife, Jessica and her, her sister, Dara are both adopted from different, um, you know, biological families, but, you know, raised as, as sisters through, mm -hmm. through the same family. So her sister, Jesse's sister, Dara comes over to our house, um, one night and says, I got to tell you guys something. I found my biological father and I have a half sister and we're like, wow, this is crazy. So she starts, you know, telling us how she pieced this together. Dara had an ancestry.com DNA test. Dara matched with her half sister with a certain number of centimorgans. Mm -hmm. And now mind you, I haven't opened Ancestry in probably four or five months at this point. She tells me that she has, I think, 1100 centimorgans in common with her half sister. And all of a sudden I just feel like, <gasps> oh. like frozen in place. Cause I'm like, I am almost positive. I have more DNA in common with this Morgan girl than she does with her half sister. Oh my God. So I'm like, I'm trying to be a good listener. I'm probably doing a pretty poor job, but <laughs> privately I'm thinking like, what the, so yeah. So I'm opening, you know, my laptop and nodding, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Right? <laughs> oh and, and then I look, I'm like, yeah, Morgan and I have, I don't have the exact number, but I want to say it was like 1530 something sent to Morgan's in common. And I'm just like, oh shit. I don't know what I have landed on, but I know it's, it's somebody's secret and I'm about to mess this up for someone. Yeah. So, so that night, that night settles, but not easily. I reach back out to Morgan and tell her what I have essentially learned. And now I am not naive, uh, or rather, I'm slightly less naive mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the scope of everything you're going to see. The, just the veil is is slowly <laughs> being pulled back now. Yeah, there, there's just, a little a, bit, yeah. Just a little bit. So, she, to her credit, and this is what we were just talking about basically made sure that we could get on the phone and she qualified everything she was about to say. She's like, I need you to understand that I am not trying to bring harm to you or to your family or to anybody, but I have. I love you, Morgan. I love you so much. She is, she's woven, uh, you know, you can't see it on the video. She's woven right in there. Yeah. She's, um, she's just the best. Absolutely the best. 
And, it, it, and thankfully, in fairness, for as great as she is, it was absolutely the right thing to do because the next things that she suggested were very hard to consider. Yeah. Um, and that was, she was like, look, I am convinced as much as you, you know, this is weird for you to think that we are half siblings. And the scenarios in my mind are ones that are really uncomfortable for me to suggest. One is that perhaps your father was donating sperm without, you know, your family's knowledge. The other is that your mother may have had an affair um, or sought the help of a sperm donor without your father knowing that she had. And none of those scenarios felt uh, like ones where I'm like, oh, well, this one's better. <laughs> um, <laughs> none of these are good. None of these yeah, are none very... Of, uh, none of them are good. No. So, so I'm terrified. Um, yeah. I call my parents to tell them you know, the, an update on the information and in, in transparency, I really don't remember that call well, but I know that it didn't provide a resolution for me. So Morgan and I decide to go a step further and, you know, the sleuths that we were becoming discovered Jedmatch. And it's a site for, for those of you who have not heard of it. Um, I haven't been on it in a long time, but at the time I knew that we could upload the raw data from any commercial DNA test yeah. and it would show you among other things, but it would show you other matches yeah. Um, to people from, from other sites. And we upload our information. We go to bed that night and it takes at the time a while to process. And then we wake up and there's another match, um, a, a male who um, he's chosen to stay out of this. So I won't mention him um, on my blog. I call him Thomas. So we'll call him Thomas. Thomas. Um, okay, great. Thomas is also from Rochester, New York. Thomas is also born within 11 months of me and Morgan, all three of us in that same window. And Thomas looks exactly like me. Morgan, oh and maybe it's, you know, the, the gender thing or whatever, you know, I hadn't actually met Morgan in person either. But I, the, I knew the, you were Morgan's brother the moment I saw you. When I saw her in person, I agree 100%. Pictures what? did not make it clear to me when I met her. There was no but question. But when, when I met you, I knew you were Morgan's brother immediately. <laughs> when I first time I met you, I was like, that's fucking Morgan's brother. But that's, anyway, I, it's I, a good I, feeling for me. Yeah. You guys so, have the exact same eyes. And I was like, that's yes, Morgan's brother. Yeah. The exact same, same the same smile. Her beard is not, you know, as full as mine, but <laughs> I tease. Um, but I but I knew that Thomas unequivocally looked very much like me in, in his pictures. So I call my parents again. And Ugh. I tell I tell them, I was like, look, I I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but I know I am going to find something out that is yeah. a secret that I don't want to find out on my own. And I don't know whose it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you that I'm going to find out. And I didn't say that to threaten them other than that's just a reality know, frankly, of what's going on. It was just on. a reality of the situation. Yeah. And, um, and I promise I'm not going to break down every part of this conversation into such minute detail, but this was for me the biggest. No, if this you can is imagine it. this is this is incredible to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm leaving the boxing gym the following night, and I get a text message from my father, which okay. is a monumental occasion. My father will do this never, and and I'm also not naive to the, all of the conversations that we've just you know been having over the past couple of days in particular. And he says, you know, I look at my phone and says, text me when you're home. And I'm like, nope, that's oh, not happening. Oh my god! I'm, you know, ten steps away from my car. I, you know, I get in, um, hook up the Bluetooth or whatever, fire up the air conditioning, and I call him. And he was like, "Hey, uh, are, are you home?" Uh, nope, I am not, and I'm not waiting until I'm home. 
I know that you are going to tell me something and I'm not, and I'm not waiting. I tell me. And love it. what's wild about this is I know that I am about to find something that is probably very significant. I, I have a couple of scenarios in my mind about what they could be. And as I've mentioned before, none of them are less significant than, than the next. I, and my finding out that I was donor conceived was not as dramatic as yours in the least bit, but it was also my father who told me. And I will say like, I at 14 knew my dad was going to share something big with me. Like there was a change in his tone of voice where I was like, yeah, something's going to have to happen. Like what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> it's like, it's like, so weird. And you and feel so the I'll, universe I'll shift or something. I don't know what it is, but you do feel exactly it. it. Yeah. So I am about to like pay tribute to that because so he starts telling me things that I already knew, as I've already shared. Well, you know that your mom and I struggled for, you know, for five years, you know, starting a family. We, we tried, you know, we tried everything. And in the end, you know, my, my sperm count was, was too low. And we just sewed. And at this point he's already, you know, cracking. And I, and I know there, there's this exactly what you're alluding to this moment where I'm just like, oh my God, you so desperately wanted to open this door and guess what? You can't close it now. I just knew that like it was going to come pouring out. And he said, uh, we needed a sperm donor, David. I'm sorry, honey, but you're not my biological son. And of all of the things that have happened in, you know, from then into the years since that remains the most significant event for me in, in all of this, because it was, because I was, you know, I think two days from then I was turning 33 or something like that. Um, it was just the last thing that you count on, right? Like this is the type of thing that happens to someone on a TV show. Yeah. This doesn't, doesn't happen to, you know, like if you're out there listening and you don't have this sort of experience, congratulations, by the way. So it ends up being this big waterworks, you know, emotional, waterboarding um you know on, on that conversation and yeah. for for context my father um and you're seeing parts of my personality here maybe we'll get some more of them but i'm historically an outgoing person you know conversational energetic all, all these things and my dad is not that man he's very quiet and reserved and not super animated and i had heard my father cry one other time in my life and I was in a car accident my sophomore year of college um, that was a life and death situation. And I was, I'm, I'm here. So spoiler, I did, uh, I did, you live. did make it. <laughs> I did make it. Um, but I remember my father coming into the hospital room when I was um, having emergency surgery and he grabbed my open hand and, and he lost it. Um, and I did too. And I'm <laughs> getting misty just remembering that. Um, but I had never heard this. He was he was just a, a sobbing, heaping mess. And and the only mercy that was granted to me in that moment was that I wasn't physically there because I don't know how I would have you know reacted or felt. Which is more you know again I know this is just like my emotional experience with it, but the juicy details then become okay. I'm we hang up the phone. How long we were on the phone? I have no idea. It could have been five minutes. It could have been you know two days. Um, but I know that I hadn't made it home yet. Um, I had, I was, my boxing gym was in downtown Miami. I was crossing a bridge to go to Miami beach where I lived at the time. And I remember hanging up the phone while I was crossing that bridge and 
only then realizing, oh my God, Morgan's my sister. Like, oh my God. Um, and she probably knows that, but she probably definitely, I know definitely does not know how or why. So if you've ever been in that situation where you have to, you know, call someone and tell them you're related to them, that's a, a weird one. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. my knowledge. I don't have any books on it, but maybe we can write one. Um, We're calling... going to need it given how many donor conceived people are finding each other now. Uh, it... I mean, I've had to be the one to, I've sent, oh my gosh, I've sent two, e- sent two messages to two siblings going, Hey, and I mean, it already had it on 23andMe. It already labeled half brother, half sister. And there was yeah. enough DNA shared that it was like, we're, ha- we're half There's no question. There's yeah. no question. Um, My my half brother who has not messaged me back yet. I mean, him and I, we we look like twins. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how, how long ago did you message him out of curiosity? Um, Messaged him in November. So over, oh, so it's not like a few a days ago. This is a no, while. This, yeah. this has been over half a year. Um, and his two kids look like our other siblings. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't doesn't become less disorienting. You would think that it does and it doesn't. Um, well, to fast forward, I guess. So I, it's really funny because I've just described like a very dramatic cinematic, at least in my mind, type of scene. And then it reaches a very anticlimactic moment where I was like, wait, I can't go home. I I have to get toothpaste. (laughs) So... So, so I stop at no, the public grocery store. Perfect. That's the Spielberg shot. You just found out this life-altering information, and now the next shot is you in a CVS trying to decide toothpaste. Is it this Colgate is the, or Crest? I'm a I'm a Colgate guy. I okay. get the yeah. Or actually, I'm, I always get so confused. I, I hope the Colgate folks aren't mad at me if I'm wrong about that. I, um, I'm a Hello girl. I do I do the the natural Hello toothpaste. Uh, That's okay. what I do. Okay, so we've got so you're buying toothpaste now. You've realized yeah, yeah, so that um you've realized that uh Morgan is your half sibling. And now what? So I I call her and and I'm trying to think of like how do I lead us up to this, but I'm just like I feel like pretense is useless. Like we've already had weird conversations. Um so I call her and you know I'm I'm a sobbing mess you know one moment and I call her the next and I'm like uh you're my half sister I don't know what to say and we just like have this like really nervous laugh cry together now mind you I don't know where Morgan was I presume she was at home I am in the middle of the grocery store having a conversation I'm sure other people can hear probably saying what the hell is what the hell Hallmark movie is this yeah, exactly. And mind you, Miami Beach, for those of you who have not been there, is not a lot of the things that people tell you it is. It's also still a lot of the things people tell you it is. There are some weird characters out there, and I'm sure that I seemed like I was one of them that night. In fact, I was one of them that night, <laughs> sharing this information you know, in the toothpaste aisle at Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. And I... You know, I, I share that information with her, and it's sort of anticlimactic. I obviously explain the context of how you know we're we're connected which I know I've been talking about all the bad scenarios. This was actually one I had not considered that was frankly better than, than the alternatives. Mom didn't have an affair. Dad didn't, you know, step out like, okay. You know, like in, in a lot of ways, I, as shocked as I was, as emotional as this was, I knew that nothing in my family had changed, that the people who were foundational to yeah. me in my nuclear family were not being taken from me. And, and that was, 
that was, you know, something for me to hang on to when, when it was not easy to kind of keep myself together over the first few days. And, and then from there, um, it was, it was a really emotional few days, as I mentioned, my sister, um, Sarah, the one that I was, I was raised with, didn't know. And my parents wanted to tell her in person that she too was, was donor conceived they wanted to do it in person. They told me that if they had tried to tell me in person, it would have seemed highly suspicious for them to fly down at the last minute and just, you know, say, Hey, we're just in town for a visit. So, you know, they told me over the phone, but they wanted to wait. I found out on a Wednesday, they wanted to tell my sister in person uh, after she got out of work on a Friday, those two days were the longest 48 hours of my entire life. My sister, Sarah and I are oh my god, just, just, I, I I'm obsessed with this child. Um, who's, who's a young woman with two children. Um, she thankfully took it, you know, really well and called me, you know, after my parents left. And I, and I think that's the first time I felt like I could breathe since it had all happened. Um, are you two part of the same pod? We don't know. And I suspect if it's up to her, we will never know, Okay. which is to say my sister to her credit, um, has landed on what I hoped I would have landed on, which is to say, okay, this is interesting information, but my family is my family and I don't need to know more. Um, I I didn't have that luxury because I, you know, in hindsight, I realized I was just, you know, stumbling like a bull in a china shop, unaware of what I was, you know, actually getting into. But the reality is, even if I had some semblance of a backstory, I think I was going to go find out anyway. And I I know. will I will say as much as I I totally respect that choice that your sister is making i do but there is a a but finding out who your siblings are finding out essentially a little bit more of your genetic makeup is life-saving information not just for you but for your kids and finding that information out doesn't change who your family is it does not change your um the identity in which you choose to take on um and the reason i say this is donor conceived people have run into massive life-threatening health conditions when they don't know their genetic history real genetic history and not just them their kids have ended up in the hospital as well so as much as i respect what your sister is choosing i will say that for any donor conceived pe- person who is listening to this and really identifying with with your sister with that I would urge you you don't have to go meet your siblings you do not have to go meet your donor you don't have to do any of that but I do encourage you just please find out what your medical history is for your sake and your kids um I I would encourage that tr- tremendously um yeah. so that that's the end of my little TED talk right there no, I, I will grant you that. Um, and I think, and this isn't to, you know, to downplay her decision, but I think she's been fortunate in the sense that we, well, we do have my mom's side of the family history and there has not been, you know, any recurring health issues for her that have been uh, a concern. Um, I want to say, I don't know for sure that they may have done, her and her husband may have done genetic testing prior to having children. I know that my wife and I did, but even so that's, that's a, an important piece, but that's not the only piece. Um, medical history fills in a lot of those gaps where genetics don't tell the whole story, which is an interesting thing to say on this uh, a podcast like this. 
um, nature is going to, you know, provide some some well, context for the health issues that you develop as well. You can't even when you and this is something that a lot of people do get very confused with. Um, one, because uh, let let's say this right now, any commercial kind of DNA test like twenty three and Me is not a medical grade test. It is right. not reliable to get a medical history. If you, it's not reliable to let, know genetically what you carry. Even if you go to a genetic counselor, though which I do encourage, if you financially can, to all adoptees, donor-conceived people, NPEs, I absolutely encourage you to do that if it is financially viable. But even still, they can't tell you everything. You cannot test for everything. You can't do it. So having that oral medical history is, again, it can be life-saving. Um, and we've just, we've seen it. So, um, and I, I'm getting, uh, I will be getting tested as well. I will be doing a full panel as well. Um, but I also am very aware that there are just things that it will not hold. It it will not tell me everything. It tells me some stuff, but not everything. Right. Um, no, it's, it's, it is, you're absolutely right. It, it, her decision is her decision, decision. but there are, but there are implications to not making a, a decision with, with that regard. Um, so thank you. I'm, I'm glad that people listening are going to know that angle, which is, it's important to consider. Um, but okay. I, so your, your sister is told, I'm so glad that you only had to wait 48 hours. Although I'm sure that 48 hours felt like 48 weeks. Um, yeah. and then, um, how do, cause I, I know what the end of this story looks like for yeah, you. I, I can pick up, I can pick up the pace here a little well, bit too. No, no, so. but I, I want to, so like what, what is going on now emotionally for you? Because like, how, how are you feeling about this? And I know what the next chapter is. How do you get there? Pretty quickly. Um, weirdly enough. So the emotions for me are, are all purely related to just this disruption. I'm not, I'm not even thinking about the the donor, I, you know, it's it's not even really kind of on my radar, although it it explains some things for me, which I had written a note to my father the night he told me, and um, I tried to be a mixture of sentimental and and lighthearted. And yeah. one of the things that I included was, um, I understand why I inherited your love for basketball, but not your jump shot. <laughs> which was, <laughs> so there were like little things like that, and, and it's funny too. I mean, my father um, was twenty seven when I was born. I was I played varsity basketball my junior year of high school. Like I, I wasn't great, but I was, you know, I was good enough to be on the varsity team. And I was practicing, you know, five days a week, like sweating. I was in shape. And my dad was a smoker who was 44 years old and would still come home from work and just destroy me and my friends. And it was humiliating because I'm like, what the hell, man? Like I'm out here putting in the work and you're just showing up, you know, pack of smokes, you know, in, in between breaks and it doesn't matter. But it, jokes aside, the emotional you know, toll of it was significant. I didn't know what to do with that sort of information. The way I've explained it to people was as if it was like watching all of your childhood videos, you know, of, of you as a kid growing up and stuff. And they're all the same, but they're shot from a different angle. Now you're seeing, you know, like off camera, for example, which is to say that yeah. nothing has changed, but something has changed um, the perspective at a minimum. So I'm still wrestling with that. But in a lot of ways, I look at the discovery of Morgan and Thomas as like my silver lining, which is to say, this is not an objectively bad thing. You get to keep your family and you get these two new people who at the time I didn't really know. But as it happened, I find this out in late September, I am going to officiate a wedding in New York City two weeks later. And as it happens, Thomas lives uh, in Manhattan. So I sent him a message saying, hey, this is a lot all at once. 
would you be interested in, you know, in meeting up while I was there? And he was very gracious about that. He said, yeah, you know, I would love to. Morgan, um, you know, understands that we're trying to link up and I did not include her. I just wasn't going to like throw her into that. I, I happened to already have a trip to New York planned. So, but she latched on to that trip and um, I ended up flying to Rochester to connect with her instead. And like that experience is exactly what you would think of, you know, with like long lost relatives seeing each other in the airport in slow motion and the dramatic, you know, soundtrack in the back or whatever mm -hmm. was me and Morgan having like a slow but fast and then like sprint walk toward each other in the Rochester airport. And, and that is a, that, I mean, that's a tiny airport. So that that's that's pretty. Yeah, there's you can see there's only it's, so many people coming down hallway, for a flight. Yeah. Like this. Exactly. Um, and we had the, you know, this big, big bear hug. And you said this already, which is like, you know, that we're related. She hugs me and she pulls back and she just grabs my face, like my cheeks and just like touching me. She's like, your, your face is on my face. That's <laughs> <laughs> what she said. I'll oh never forget. God, like, yes. your, your face is on my face. And I, I don't understand. And so we board this flight. Um, we had actually asked, um, uh, like some strangers who were, mind you, this is like a 5 a.m. flight. This is early we had asked some woman, you know, sitting there probably who like, hasn't even had her first cup of coffee. Like, do you mind taking, you know, like pictures of us? And just like, he's my brother, but he's not whatever, you know, it was, it was weird and disorienting. So we get on this like puddle jumper plane and we sit next to each other. And it's just like face to face is like this. Like you can't help it. You're that close. Wow. So I'm seeing her face, you know, as we're making the flight into New York, fast forward, we, so we get to link up with Thomas um, at his place and you know, it's just those first conversations. It's a lot like a first date, which is like, you know, you want to be there, but you don't know what the expectations are and you don't want to be rejected. Um, and was sort of, you know, I think the mindset that we all had at the time. So what I didn't know was, um, so Morgan and Thomas had both grown up knowing that they were donor conceived. I was, you know, in the tripod, I was unique in the sense that I had just found out two weeks ago. So they had oh, you know, more, okay. of an, more of an origin story to, yeah. you know, how they had, how they had gotten here. And this was the first time I had ever heard Dr. Morris Wortman's name, which was, um, you know, they had said, well, you know, my mom had gone to, you know, Dr. I don't Morris know if Wortman. you heard it, but in the in the background, in my head, I just heard bump, bump, bump. <laughs> so you I hear his on. you hear his name for the very first time. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's inconsequential because in my mind there and it's not like anybody's mentioning it. I'm sort of spoiling the way this story should be told. It's like just casually um, hearing like, oh, who's Darth Vader? Okay. Right, exactly. Like, okay, he's, he's a character. I get it. All right. um, he was, you know, he was the fertility doctor who helped both of their mothers. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, that makes sense. Rochester, New York, not a, not a small city, not a big city, moderate sized city. Um, and there were, you know, probably not a ton of fertility doctors. And, and then, oh, by the way, since we're all related, yeah, it would make sense that the same donor passed through, you know, that, that doctor's office. Um, so, okay, cool. This is his name somewhere in that weekend. I don't remember exactly when, um, we, we Google him cause I, one of us or all of us were curious to see what he looked like. And it was unquestionable that we resembled him, but Okay. I, I mean, okay. All right. I will say though, um, uh, uh, not, not, not to, not to be a dick or anything. Uh, you, you're, you're, um, I would say conventionally about a thousand times more attractive than him. Like <laughs> the, the, the guys, I would say asshole qualities really came pronounced in his features. Like, <laughs> I, I always joke that he kind of looks like the combination between like Dr. Evil and an eel. 
You have said that, and it's with great regret that I I could see the that resemblance. Um, I'm going to leave that one there a little bit, which <laughs> is to I, say, I, I just like I I don't I don't see the resemblance. But if you guys did, cool. But like, I I'll, I'll tell you where where it is in me, which is I have crow's feet all there. I've mm-hmm. had them probably since I was like 16. I have light eyes, and uh, and like him, I have no hair. But by the way, it's it's actually very relevant that we would say that because those alone are not like there are a lot of guys who've lost their hair. There are a lot of people. Uh, I'm lives. married to one. Yeah. Th- yeah. There you go. Yeah, you, I'm married. And, and oh, my God. David. David, are you donor conceived? Shit. <laughs> we did the tw- so, we, we did the ancestry test. We know he's not. But oh, my God. So so we see the picture and I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, that's that's interesting. But mind you, like in the in the scheme of things that I've just learned in two weeks, I'm not thinking that there's like another surprise in here. I'm just like, okay, well, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, I don't remember when. This is where things start to get a little fuzzy for me. At some other point, I ended up back in Rochester visiting my family. It was not immediate. And and I remember sitting at the kitchen table mentioning to my um my mother, well, both of my parents, but I was talking to my mother, that um that we felt like Dr. Wartman resembled uh us like as offspring like oh wow we, we kind of looked like him you know and my mother is not taking it as light-hearted as i have just articulated it she like breaks neck and like looks over at my father i'm like what and she's like i have thought that i was a total lunatic at multiple times throughout your life because i remember distinctly on several occasions looking at you and saying oh my god you look like him and i that was the first time that I considered not because of, Oh, it just got cold in here. It just got very cold. Okay. I will tell you what it was that stuck out to me about that was it was a mother's instinct. It wasn't necessarily the fact that we looked similar. Cause again, the rationalization behind that was just like, there's a lot of light, you know, light eyed, you know, bald, bald people. Um, (laughs) So but her reaction to that was the first time that I think I considered like the mustard seed was planted, that this was actually maybe something. Yeah. And I'll gloss over some of like the in-between. I will go on to say that the, the next year, almost a year, uh, I'll lead us up into August of 2018 was increasingly better. It became a little bit more normal to, you know, have this as a part of my story and by then I had begun to develop like a real kinship with, with Morgan and Thomas in, in our own ways. And it was, it was really special. In fact, August of 2018 is so important because I know that my father in particular was very reluctant to be involved in any of the, the fallout of, you know, an extra family and stuff for reasons that I understand, which was, I think, I know in a lot of ways, he felt like my sister and I would not see him as our father and that we might try to replace him in some ways. So he was resistant to the idea of me pursuing some of this, but he, it wasn't too close to him. So I guess he didn't have to face it front on. However, um, I, we had an opportunity where Thomas Morgan and I were all going to be in Rochester at the same time. And, and Thomas's mother uh, who had retired was also going to be in Rochester. And so we started to like dream up this idea, like what if we got our three families together for like a cookout or a barbecue oh my God. and, and we did um to this day it was one of the most special nights of my entire life it was just as if all of these fears and and you know nerves that had been building over the years um 
for well years for them certainly years for my parents weeks uh, or or months for me um were gone everybody was so warm and 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 kind um our moms all had unique reactions to seeing each of us as like a different oh, you know cho- wow. a choose your own adventure book of their child like my yeah. mother had a very visceral reaction to seeing thomas because she was like i know you're not my son but you are a part of my son you yeah. you look like my son and she and you know that was anyways it's this is an amazing incredible night and the next morning thomas sends a text to me and morgan and says so i woke up to a new match on 23andme oh. and i'm like okay um and i don't i don't know if morgan was you know busy or if it was early enough she was still sleeping i don't recall so thomas and i are kind of going back and forth um we look we look this woman up also from rochester um born in 1985 um as well so in that same you know one one year window basically and Morgan eventually does join the group chat and sends what I recall, like OMG in all caps, like multiple times. And I'm like, okay, maybe she's just being really dramatic. Um, as it turns out, this woman was a very close childhood friend of hers who lived on the same street and had a twin sister who was her best friend all through childhood. And I can only imagine what Morgan felt that day because what I felt that day was so disorienting. Yeah. Um, It was as if like this thing that I had worked so hard, I thought I had put in a lot of work to be okay mentally and emotionally. And now I've got this like little bonus, you know, family of like a year in, right? Like I have Morgan and Thomas, like my little tripod. And now there's an interloper, which is not literally how I felt about, you know, about them. But that was like, oh my God. Um. And it's I I have not had this happen to me yet, but um the but the amount of donor conceived people who find out they went to school with their donor conceived sibling, they were next door neighbors, they were childhood best friends. Like it's a very common experience, yeah. uh, and that is it, it. It's it just makes it you just you realize that how I, I, I'm trying to find the right words, but it's, you know, every, you know, we're constantly told that like, oh, the siblings are everywhere and you'll never like, you know, the chances of like a sibling dating or something is so minimal. But then when you talk to donor conceived people and you realize how many encounters you've had with your siblings over your life and you just didn't know, it's tremendous. Yeah. It It is. And I'm, I'll gloss over some of the rest of it. So that was that was a disorienting night, but I'm, yeah. I'll fast forward to sometime in the next six months when I actually joined that club that you're talking about. We At this point, I had decided to opt out of new sibling discoveries. I, I didn't, I just didn't have the men, you know, emotional capacity for it. I understand. But, um, but of course, I was still receiving notifications and updates from, you know, people like Morgan and sibling number seven, I think, um, was my middle school classmate. <gasps> We, oh we sat next. We sat next to each other in in Italian class and homeroom. Oh my and god! The irony here is that we both studied Italian because our fathers are Italian. Oh my god! Um. Oh my god! I, I, yeah, of course I. You know, I didn't know when I was in school with him that he was he was my half brother. Um, oh. The visual similarities were not as pronounced for me. Um, 
meaning like I didn't feel like an idiot for not noticing it at the time. It's not like we were in middle school and people were like, you guys look the same. Um, that didn't really happen. But that was also very disorienting for me. And it's around yeah. this time when the number you know, swells to eight to 10 to 11. And guess what? Everyone's born in this, you know, same time frame. Guess what? Everyone's, you know, mother went to the same fertility doctor. And guess what? We all kind of resemble him in one way, shape or form. Yeah. This, this thing that seemed like a, a seedling of impossibility at, at some point started to feel entirely plausible. And this is where the timeline gets a little bit fuzzy for me, but um, well, actually, no, that's not entirely true. October of 2021, maybe I started a blog, uh, barrychronicles.com. I haven't updated it in a while, but if you want to check out <laughs> some of it, I mentioned that only because um, someone had shared my, my blog with a, a writer from the New York times and that, that writer reached out to me. Um, her name is Jackie Mraz. And she, you know, asked me, now, mind you, at this point on the blog, I am, I'm sharing a lot of what I'm, you know, sharing right now without mentioning names, because if I'm wrong, that's a wild accusation. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, ruin somebody's life, period, <laughs> uh, but certainly not without context. And so the woman asked me, she's like, well, have you confirmed that, you know, this, this doctor is your biological father? And I said, well, no, um, I'm, you know, love to find out, but I, I don't know how I'm going to find out. There's, there's nobody else who's matching to me, who's closer to him than uh, us have siblings are, you know, together. And she put in motion things that in hindsight started to happen really fast. And she introduced me to, um, a, a DNA, um, investigator. Uh, she was like the celebrity DNA, uh, genealogist or whatever. And I forget her name. She kind of blew me off. Um, then I went back to, to Jackie, the writer, and she said, well, I'll put you in touch with Eve Wiley and, uh, and DNA angels. Yeah, so Eve. Eve. So this yes, is where Eve, DNA Eve angels. Oh, <laughs> we got some MVPs in the building You're now. You're not kidding. And by oh. the way, I, I was grateful at the time, but I didn't realize like the, the class that I was introduced to like right off the bat. Um, and I'm not saying that just for, you know, for their sake to, to puff egos, like that group and that woman are are just powerhouses. Um, yep. So anyways, um, Eve, you know, helps me a little bit. In fact, she might've been the one to connect me to DNA angels, if I remember incorrectly. And I be careful what you wish for. I wanted an answer. And within two days, um, I, I was given a path to one. I gave them access to my ancestry.com, um, you know, login and everything so they could go in and poke around and information on Dr. Wortman to kind of also use birth records and stuff like that to maybe create a story. And they said, look, we can see that at least five generations ago, you are, you are related to him, but there are so many missing gaps in between. Um, and for additional context, he lost a lot of his family in the Holocaust. His parents were Holocaust survivors. And the long and short of it was for, for us to be connected five generations ago was in fact, not very unique that they created so much ambiguity that it didn't necessarily mean much. Yeah. If I wanted to confirm once and for all, if, you know, my connection to him, then their recommended path was for me to contact one of his known daughters, a child that he had raised in his house and get them to take a DNA test. And I'm thinking I've got a snowball's chance in hell. Yeah. Picking up the phone and just calling one of them and saying, Hey, hey 
hey, it's me, it's David. Do you want to take a DNA test? I'm a guy you've never heard of before. What's up, random people? What's up, folks? You want to um, take a DNA test? Let's spit so, in a tube, everyone. So credit again to the DNA angels because I don't know what it was, but they they landed on three of Dr. Wortman's uh, known children, daughters, adults. And they said, this one in particular, we think you have the best chance at like getting a response from. And in fact, I'm not even entirely Is... sure I know why they arrived at that well if i am correct and 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 this is this is where now i would i think that like uh, you know i i've had you know conversations um about about these moments but it's because this daughter was no contact with dr wortman correct like so so the answer is yes but i did not know that at the time got it okay yeah they and again, I, this is admittedly something I feel like a little don't know how un, the hell they knew of. that, but like, yeah, they seem to believe that something about her online presence made her warm and approachable. Um, Yo, which, DNA angels way, are freaking. Oh, you're not kidding. Oh my god! I, I will also tell you in hindsight, they couldn't have been more right. And I, so I, I call. Her name is Ariel. I call Ariel, and I'm I'm at my sister. This is really weird how many times she comes into my story at pivotal pivotal moments. My sister-in-law is getting married and I'm like, we're getting ready for the, for the wedding. And I'm like, I'm just going to, or for the rehearsal dinner, I was like, I'm just going to call and leave this voicemail and then we'll go and, you know, we'll see if she ever responds. Well, she answers. Oh my God. <laughs> she answers the call and I have not prepared a phone call. I have prepared a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love those moments where you're just like, I was over here for a real person. Yeah, no, 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 just hang up handle actually this kind of pressure and i'm yeah. sweating and yeah. i'm you know and i'm supposed to be dressed nice and not sweating yeah. and this whole thing i somehow managed and she might disagree but this is how i remember it. i i play it very cool very calm mm -hmm. um, ariel we we are open for comments if that was actually yes. true we are we we would like to hear your um interpretation perspective yeah. of what happened privately this was a quick uh, aggressive death on the inside <laughs> um but i managed to tell her with with confidence what i knew to be true what i did not include in my conversation with her was what i suspected may also be true mm. so i told her what i also have just told you which is i know that i am a genetic connection to your father at least five generations ago i am donor conceived i do not know who my biological father is i'm not trying to find a relationship with him i I'm just trying to find out who he is and i believe that if you were to take a dna test i could confirm um who it is and and she agreed like while we're on the call and and this is the worst negotiation tactic on my part when someone says yes in a, a negotiation you shut up you stop <laughs> talking you won i say okay well i don't want you to feel rushed and you don't have to if you don't want to and you can take your time to sleep on it or whatever and she's like okay well yeah yeah i'll, I'll do that and i'm like you idiot so whatever so we hang up and and my wife is there she's on speaker the whole time and she's just like oh my god like what the hell just happened we finished getting dressed and and then i get a text message from her I, again i don't remember exactly where but i know that the wedding was in the the wedding rehearsal was in the way and you know on your iMessage like you'll see the text and then like whatever else is cut off underneath that you got to open it what i see is so i found your blog dot 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 and i'm <gasps> thinking oh shit oh no like, 
like she's gonna see what i'm ultimately after and tell me pound sand like i'm oh, not trying to no! talk to you guys okay i open the text and to this day is in a stream of stories that are filled with shocks this this was a shock was i am almost confident i know who your biological father is let me know when you when you're free to talk and <laughs> i oh like i'm still like I'm, I'm having chills just telling you about something that happened to me two years ago it was it was that oh my god unexpected my now mind you i am i know for sure at this point i am at the rehearsal dinner i can't do anything about this we're we're partying we're doing our thing and <laughs> it's i want to say it was going to be at least three hours before i was going to be able to get back in front three of three hours screen that's three front. centuries at this point it's, it is eternity yes so we agree to facetime the second time around the first time it was just on a call we agreed okay. to facetime and i set my iPhone up, you know, like here on the table and I sit down at the desk in the hotel room and her face appears and it's, it looks really familiar. And is it your, both... your fate as Morgan would say, your face is on my face. face. I'm, you know, I'm reasonably fair skinned or, or medium toned. I, I think the biggest difference is, is Ariel is, is more fair skinned, you know, than, than I am, but otherwise, yeah, that's my face. We we both have this like nervous kind of smirky smile as this <laughs> as this begins. Of and it's it's hilarious, right? Because this is not small information. This isn't no! even kind of it's not even kind of funny. And we're it's smirking. Not, and I and I just want everybody to know that I'm sorry that I am laughing. This is just like oh no no. It, oh my way, god! No, this this is just insanity. I'm saying it because I'm having the same reaction. I'm like I shouldn't be laughing, but I am. Yes. I can't help myself. Oh, so, this is this is this, this this is TV show series. Like anybody writing this would be like, "Yo, this is a little intense. Like this couldn't like let's ground this a little bit more." Yeah, in why don't we stick to nonfiction, okay, yeah. Mister Fiction? You know, yeah. I have felt All right, that way. Tolkien, at times. like, shut up, like, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. So she starts talking and she starts telling me, you know, little anecdotes of, and this is the conversation where I learned several minutes into it that she had not had a relationship with him for at the time maybe. 15, 16 years, maybe a little bit longer. Oh my God, that long. Yeah. Oh my and God. No, I'll clarify. I know that they had contact sometimes, but but very sparingly and, okay. and not to the point where she would call it, you know, an active relationship. So it was, it was essentially no contact, only- Correct. Like, okay, essentially, yeah. Correct. Now, on that call, we didn't get into a ton of detail in terms of why that was the case. As we started, you know, as she started to share some things with me, I I think I have had context for it, but I wasn't going to guess and it didn't feel appropriate to pry. Yeah. Nevertheless, I knew, I felt that part of the reason I was getting the information I was getting is because there wasn't a relationship to speak of for her. And that's not a judgment. I just know it's probably easier to have a conversation like this when you're not going to go see that, you know, that person the next day, for example. Um but she starts to lay out for me this, you know, the story filled with little anecdotes and I'm paraphrasing what she said. I wish I had it like word for word. But one of the first things she said was, I've always had questions or, or misgivings, like, you know, in my mind about, you know, things my father, you know, did or, or may have done, you know, as a physician. And when I saw your blog and I started reading it, I immediately knew that this was true. And oh my God. And then so she goes on and, you know, she continues to explain some context. You know, I had found um, 
news clippings in his, I think it was his home office or something in a file or a box or something um, that had, you know, like clippings of kids, you know, um, in, in Rochester. And she had recalled asking him at one point, you know, well, who are these kids? And, you know, he explained, well, these are, you know, children of families that I, that I have helped, you know, over, over the years, which objectively could be true. Um, but she latched on, <laughs> Laura, Laura, CPR, David, David. <laughs> oh my God. Um, oh my God were... That's like a serial killer. Oh my God. I'm, I'm really thankful to say murder wasn't a part of that equation. Cause it's the only thing that would have made that harder to swallow. Oh um, yeah. I mean, it's, we are, uh, okay. I'm just, I'm waiting now for like the bunker that has the map of all of your photos with the red yarn. Okay. I don't I don't know if that exists. I'm really hopeful it doesn't. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Sorry. Okay. All right. Keep going. This on this nightmare story. Yeah, yeah like no, it's okay. Okay. So okay. So she found a box of Yeah. So one of the things I remember about that, and I and I, I just want to be clear, I may be misremembering some of the details on this. And so I say that just, you know, for everybody's protection, but I believe she had recalled seeing one or maybe two of the siblings uh, from our group who were there in that folder more than once, um, which indicated to to her at the time, this, you know, maybe somebody who just showed up in the news a lot, but with my blog had maybe implied to her that there was a reason that it was these ones showing up multiple times. And when she saw my blog is when it clicked for her that she believed with no uncertainty in her mind that these were offspring of his that he had been keeping track of to the extent that, you know, that he knew how. And what's really funny about this is I don't remember exactly how long we spoke. Let's call it 20, 30 minutes, not a short period of time. Um, she had not actually said what I thought I needed like to hear her say. And I was like, before we end this call, cause we were winding down, I was like, I just need to hear you say like, you're dancing around it, but like, can you tell me what you actually think this means? And she was like, I think that my my father is your biological father. Yeah. And it's similar to, you know, how I had mentioned before that mother's instinct, that first time my mom sort of, you know, snapped neck when when I had mentioned it. I I knew in my heart that it was true after that conversation. I was yeah. I don't want to say confident, but I was feeling like, man, if it's not this, then I've really missed the mark and I'm and I feel terrible for you know for even suggesting or thinking that this was possible but i had very little doubt in my mind when i ended that phone call with her um because she didn't have any any incentive and to this day she has no incentive to have done what she did um to help me to help the the scores of, of the rest of us who were all going to be impacted by by this information I, you know people oh my god and i would just say anecdotally like i've had people tell me, you know, in the, in the years that I've, you know, gone through this, if, you know, from my blog to, you know, being in Capitol Hill and stuff like that, you're courageous, you're, you're brave, like you're, you're handling it with so much grace. And I'm, I, I'm grateful for that. I truly am. Um, because it has not been easy work to get to a place where I'm okay. But when I think of courage, what I have done pales in comparison to what, what Ariel did in, in my estimation. I, I, Ariel, if you are hearing this, I have the most uh, utmost respect for you as an individual. I, I I cannot begin to imagine the emotional just 
strife that was going on inside inside of you, inside of her. I cannot imagine. Um, what she did was incredibly brave. Um, yeah. and how and even though this 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 uh, this entire journey has led to a very I would say tumultuous time, it needed to happen. This needed to be uncovered. There are so many children of the doctors who commit fertility fraud who just literally actively help protect their dads, which I understand the instinct. I get it. That's your dad. I understand. But the th- that person committed a very horrific act. On a repeated basis. On a repeated basis. And this needs to be brought to light. It needs to be brought to justice. There are people who need information. And the fact that, I mean, I, the fact that she was willing to stand up in a way in that kind of, like, I, that is a unique. She put a target on herself. You know, like me, as the hypothetically donor conceived person, I'm not really a major player for, you know, for, for Dr. Warman. I'm, and I don't say that, you know, in a faux act of humility, I'm not. Um, but that's his daughter. That's the daughter that he raised, uh, regardless of the, you know, relationship that they did or did not have at the time. She, she put herself square in the center of this and she did not have to. And I, I just remember feeling like a numbness and yeah. hanging up with her that like I had been handled by somebody. So not only did she agree to do this, but like it was almost as if she was like counseling me and there was just like a warmth to her that I thought like, who the hell are you? Like I, to this day, I don't think I've met anybody like Ariel. And so Ariel, so cheers to you, girl. Like <laughs> wait, way to step up. Like I, I thank you. I love you, Dolly. Yeah. I love you oh, a lot. My God. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a, okay. I promise I'm not trying to overdo this with like dramatic moments, but here comes another one. Um, (laughs) I don't know if it was that same phone conversation or if it was one, you know, maybe a day or so later, but we had, you know, discussed like reaffirming that I had what I had originally told her, which is my desire. I don't want a relationship, whether it was him or if it was, you know, Joe down the street. I am not looking for a relationship with my biological father, mm-hmm. but I am looking to fill in the pieces. I want to know, I want to know what they look like. Um, I'd like to know their medical history, which we've talked important <laughs> about here. A little important um, there, yeah. A little important. And then um, and then motivations. Um, what let's operate on two sides of this. One, if it's a, an anonymous donor, you know, what what is your life like now? What what were your circumstances where you were donating, you know? apparently prolifically for a period of time, you know, like, what is your life like on the flip side? Um, if it's, if it's Dr. Wartman, my question about motivations are quite different. Yeah. And so, so anyways, I explained, you know, all of this in context to her and she again offers, uh, advice to me that she does not need to, um, which is that I should contact him, that I should reach out to him. And I, which is hilarious, right? Because I'm literally talking about this this thing that is accessible to me. In fact, over the course of you know the several years leading up to that, I could have called him any time, and I just chose not to. 
But now I was in a very unique situation where she was taking the test. In fact, I think by the time we had this conversation, she had already mailed it in. Wow. Uh, I went out of my way to next day, the official, not like Ancestry.com, but like the one that the federal government will acknowledge in like a paternity suit. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. To to send to her. And so it's in the mail um, from her sending back to the lab. And so I'm in my mind, I'm like, this is actually a perfect time to reach him because if I didn't have this information, then I could call and ask. And if he told me, you're a lunatic, or, leave me alone, don't ever call me again. I'm no closer to an explanation. But if I believe that I'm about to get confirmation, then I can say and hear anything that I want, because regardless of what he tells me, I know I'm going to get that answer with or without his assistance. Absolutely. So this next part is, of the story is what is, and, and in fact, it ties in the very beginning of our conversation, which is my reaction to to his death is a lot like it is in life, which is my feelings about him are ambivalent because there are some things that I'm grateful for. And there are some things that I can't forgive. I was two weeks. Well, I didn't know it was two weeks to the day at the time, but it ended up being two weeks to the day before my wife gave birth to our first son, uh, our, our first child, my son. And as it happens, one of, so I'd mentioned that Jesse, my wife, is adopted. The thing I'm leaving out is that she was raised Jewish. I happen to be expertly Jewish, apparently, in my DNA, but I was not raised Jewish. But our son was going to be raised, um, and I hate that this quote or term was also stolen by um, that idiot Republican uh, member of the House, uh, George Santos, who had said that he was Jewish. Um, but I think that was a, an accurate representation of how we were going to be raising our son, which was I wanted him to have the cultural experiences that mattered so much to, to my wife. And at the same time, whether I've invited them there or not, they were part of my genetic heritage and they were going to be a part of my son's genetic heritage. So Ariel helps me conceive of a way to contact him with something that would be reasonable to ask for, which is practical advice from an outspoken member of the Jewish community in Rochester um, for practical advice on fathering a Jewish son. Ooh. So I send this, send this email and, and I go to the gym. I'm thinking, this is gonna, this is gonna go nowhere. Um, and thirty minutes later, my phone rings with a five eight five area code number. Oh on my, my phone. god! Did I not tell you this? I, if, if I didn't tell you, man, you didn't I, I, tell me this. I'm done. I am so sorry. So the okay. heart rate starts. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, five eight five is a Rochester phone number. So that that was a, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. All and, right. and in my mind, I'm like. Oh my God, it, it has to be like there's, if there, if there's another five, eight, five number in my phone, I already have it saved. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, you know, lifting weights, you know, trying to bro it out and, and I just like kind of step away and I you know, like, hello, this is David. And he's like, you know, hi, David, this is, this is Dr. Morris Wortman. I just, uh, I received your email and I, uh, I about shit myself, you know, <laughs> like I just, I just couldn't believe that he had, he had responded and he had actually taken it upon himself to call. I sent him an email. I gave him my phone number in it, but I didn't Ooh. think he would call me. So I step away. Thankfully, my gym at the time had like a, a room behind the men's locker room that was for stretches and stuff like that. Nobody was in there. And I just put it on speaker and I opened my phone to the notes app and I'm just I'm just typing in. Yep. So but but the first 30 seconds of this call are substantial because his first question, not meant, you know, sent to me as like an accusation, is 
you know, how, how did you get my information again? You know, like how, how did you hear about me? And I explained as, so if I was a bumbling mess with Ariel and trying to hide it, this <laughs> one, I actually felt like I handled as well as I possibly could have given the circumstances. And I'd very slowly draw out the situation, which is I learned your name a few years ago. Um, when I learned, you know, from my parents that I was conceived through a sperm donor, as it turns out, you know, you were my mother's fertility doctor. And, uh, at the time I discovered, you know, two half siblings whose, you know, whose mothers actually also used you as, as their fertility doctor. But over the course of the next couple of years, that number swelled to, and I don't remember what the number would have been at the time, but let's call it 11, 12, something to that effect. Um, and that we, you know, laughed about the fact that, you know, when the, the numbers were a little bit smaller, that we looked similar to you. And that became harder for us to just kind of write off as, um, as a joke when the numbers continued to grow. And what I'm about to suggest next might sound like a wild accusation and you have my permission and blessing to end the phone call. Um, if, if you desire, but I think you're my biological father and like the sound of silence, like the second I finished that sentence was like suffocating to me. And I, it couldn't have been more than, you know, a, a second, um, for you know, waiting for a reply. But he said, well, um, you know, I, I understand. And at this point, I think I had told him when I was born as well and saying, you know, look in the, in the early eighties, we, we didn't really have great record keeping, you know, like we worked with the donors that we had when we had them and there were no electronic me you know, medical records like there are now, obviously that sort of stuff. He's like, look, there were a lot of, you know, Ashkenazi Jewish doctors at the university of Rochester at that time as, um, who might share the features that, you know, that you're discovering. He's like, so I'm, you know, it's not me. And then, you know, um, or some, or maybe I actually, in fact, no, that's not what he said. He didn't say it's not me. He said that, you know, I wish you, you know, the best of luck in, in trying to, you know, fit, find that information out. Pause. Immediately, I am thinking to myself, if someone just called me, if I was a fertility doctor and someone had just called me and said, I think you could be my biological father, I would say, well, that's impossible because I never used my sperm on my patients. Yeah, that, that would or, sort of be the first thing out of my mouth going, I'm so, no, no, that, that, unless somebody took it without my knowledge, which would, no. You would know. You would know if someone was taking it. Yeah, you, um, uh, I'd, mm, yeah, that would be, that's a very easy no. If you, yeah. that wasn't you. That's a very roundabout answer of going, ah. <laughs> exactly it's like uh, it's like those at, um yeah what was the cartoon uh peanuts when like the teacher's talking and it's all yes. just, rah, rah, rah. that's yeah probably exactly what was going on there so so in that moment i have a decision to make which i've already alluded to which is what am i here for do i want to push back and tell him well guess what i'm going to find out in a couple of weeks anyway or do i want to have the conversation that i am hoping to have i know i'm not going to get a confession obviously that's that's already missed but I am hoping for information that I think I can form a, a rationalization or a story out of. And so we go on to have a half hour conversation um, about a number of things. One, you know, a center piece of that being what I had reached out to him about, which was this Jewish identity. And the irony of this is, yes, I was trying to bait him into um, a, a response or a confirmation but what I intentionally or not, what I'd reached out to him for was a genuine area of of concern uh, for me. I, to this day, still feel 
like an imposter when I tell people that I am Jewish because it's not the same as you know the story I said before where, oh, I'm Irish. Oh, no, I'm Italian. Cool, I can have better pasta or I can go have potatoes, right? And you can make lighthearted jokes about that. No, you discover that you're Jewish. This is a completely different animal. I am, in a very literal sense, the, def- the descendant of Holocaust survivors and, and many others who did not. I will never feel like that is a part of my experience. It it, it would be uh, egregious for, for me to think that that is a part of my my lived experience, even though I can't deny, obviously, that, you know, there are ancestral, you know, elements to that. And depending on inherited uh, trauma, you know, through our, our DNA and stuff. The, knows, the complexity you know? of finding out that you are Jewish um, as it is an ethno religion is yeah. I do it is something that's very complex for a lot of donor conceived people. I am also 50% Ashkenazi Jewish, genetically. And so it's been an ongoing discussion and with a lot of friends, because I have a ton of friends who are Jewish. And there are some friends who are like, no, Laura, you're identify as fucking Jewish. Like, you're Jewish. And then I have other friends who are like, no, you're not. Yes, technically yeah. there is, but it is wrong of you. Like, And it's a complex thing. And it's so hard to hear that, too, because yes. on one token, you're like, I'm not trying to adopt something that's not mine. And it's I've always said it feels like I forever live in a house in which I am always a guest in. Like I'm, I'm forever, I'm forever a guest. I am, I don't ever get to live in this house that I, I do permanently live in, but yeah. I, I'm never a resident. Um, I will always be a renter. Um, and that's been hard. Um, and that is, and it is something that I, I wrestle with a lot and, uh, you know, I've, but yeah. anyway. So I have this opportunity to just kind of listen and, and like I said, get there, get what I came for. So as I, I'm trying to furiously, you know, put down notes in my, like the, the notes app on my phone, but anyways, we talk about Jewish identity and, you know, his, his experience with it. And I should actually have the notes open here to kind of like reference it, but I, I can paraphrase, but he had told me that a lot of his experience in Judaism, like he wasn't always a, a devout Jew that wasn't always central to his life until his own parents um, had either passed away or, or were much older. If I forget, maybe it was a mixture of the two. And and he, you know, really took to the faith and and gave me a couple of things that were anecdotes that I, I frankly still kind of hold on to. And, and one of those was if if I have this apprehension, and in fact, it's very relevant to what you and I were literally just talking about, this apprehension, this uncertainty, that the Jewish faith in his experience is the one that is most open to people who actively have a respect and admiration for for the faith, for the experience, and wanting to um approach it respectfully um that he acknowledges like in that sense that is you are jewish like the people who who see you pursuing this earnestly um you know out of respect for for them and their experience um would you know in my experience would be would be inviting and accepting of you and and that that's if that's an identity that you believe is is central to who you want to be whether it's today or sometime in the future to pursue that um but that you you do not need to feel as if you are not a part of that. Um, essentially, sort of saying like your your mindset, which is reinforcing, I guess, what we were saying, um, is is the most important part. And he he told me, you know, a lot about that. Um, 
in fact, he told me through that, uh, about it through the lens of, you know, raising my son and not feeling, especially because I was going to be raising my son that like, what a, what a great thing, you know, part of a, a Jewish community to, to give that gift to your son, even if it's not something that you had the experience with, um, that there can be authenticity in that and his experience can be real to him. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, these are things that maybe I thought I knew, but I, I felt very validated by, um, you know, in that moment, especially on the precipice of knowing like my wife's belly was big. So he was really going to be there soon. So it wasn't just like hypothetical, like he was really going to be here. Um, he told me a lot about, you know, his, his family, his family history too, in a way that I thought was a little bit more revealing than I personally would have disclosed. But again, Mm. I'm thinking in my mind, okay, he's not going to come out and tell me He's going to tell you in a way that he feels safe telling you. Exactly. Exactly. And the version of the story that he wants to weave. So um, at the end, he, um, um, man, if you give me a second, actually, I'm going to look it up on my phone, but there was a a saying um, that he, he shared with me. I can't find it. But it was basically go from strength to strength was the, you know, the English equivalent to it, um, sort of a, a Jewish blessing. And when we, when we hung up, I actually started the conversation and felt terrified, uh, end of the conversation felt sort of really even, I I felt sort of at at peace because number one, I suspected, I, I was very confident that I would never talk to him again. Um, that there was no reason for me to, you know, that was all of what I had believed Number two was that I didn't think that I was ever going to get a better explanation than the one I I had received, which is to say, even, and this does kind of bring us full circle to, um, you know, questions about like, how do I feel in the aftermath? And the the answer is still ambivalent because I, I don't think I was ever going to get the answer that I wanted. I don't think I was ever going to get someone acknowledging what I did was wrong or yes, I did do this. This was, you know, or it was wrong, but this is why I thought it was right. Or I'm sorry. Um, that conversation made me think that that was never going to happen, Yeah. that he was rationalizing his decisions, you know, in his mind. And what I took from it is my motivations were to help. Um, you know, he, and, and this was context I had gotten from Ariel that he was a very dedicated physician was the words that she used. He really did want to get outcomes. Now, whether they were for himself or for his patients or a mixture of those two, that's where life is interesting. Um, so we, we may I, have had a, I, I mean, obviously neither of us are psychiatrists, um, but it, it does sound like potentially there there definitely was some God complex there. I, I believe that. Um, yeah, that, that ego would play a role, which is to say, now how it arrived there, I don't know. Yeah. Um, do I believe that he was, you know, genuinely trying to help, you know, his his patients? The answer is yes, because at one point I know that several of our mothers, it wasn't as if they went in once, he did this once and then, you know, the babies were born. No, my parents tried for years through frozen donations and, and others. Um, so it wasn't his first option, but at some point it became one that he was more increasingly comfortable with. And and I wrestle with that because that to me, I'm not justifying it. I'm saying, oh, well, because it wasn't his first option, it makes it okay. No. Um, but I don't think that was his first instinct. I think his first instinct was to try the paths that he could to to get an outcome for himself or his patients. Um, and then in the absence of others, took matters into his own hand. Literally. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's still not something that 
I, I am not in a position to decide who should or should not forgive, but I can say with certainty two things. People are like, and I'm sure this is happening all the time on, on your episode, um, you know, comments and stuff like that, or even on an, on Instagram comments, who cares? She got what she wanted. It's a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, like, what are you so upset about? You're here. If yeah, got it, you know, like, trust me, any basic person with a brain can arrive at some of those thoughts. Yeah. Um, however, if this was really okay, then why did the doctor at a minimum not disclose it as an option? Why did none of them disclose it as an option? Yeah. Of all of the doctors that I'm aware of in, in our country and, and maybe certainly others who are, are guilty of fertility fraud at their own hands. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> why did none of them offer it as an option to their patients if it was such not a big deal? If disclosure didn't matter, if it, if it was a viable option, if it was okay, because it wasn't and they knew it wasn't. Um, whether and it was a gray even area. when confronted, why didn't they go, oh, yeah, no, 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 that was totally me. Yeah, I absolutely did that. You're welcome. Right. Um, right. Why Why didn't they say, because they, they knew it was wrong. They knew right. it was wrong. They knew that they were taking consent out of the equation. They also know that this is, incre- it's very, it's inappropriate as your doctor to be doing that. Mm-hmm. To be to be implanting you with your own doctor's sperm, they know that that is absolutely inappropriate. What yeah. now? Whether or not the law says it is is an entirely different conversation. But they know ethically it is incorrect. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and the law, the law is as good as the information that people have to make it. Um, never mind all of the bullshit that goes on in, in our government. Um, but you know, a lot of the the members of Congress that we've spoken to, and Laura, you you were there with us. Um, acknowledge like technology moves faster than government, um, yeah. moves faster than a lot of things. So I, I don't fault states for not having those laws on the books to begin with, but I do fault them for not doing something about it once they are aware of how widespread this, this oh, is. Oh yeah. I mean, I can fully understand why, why so many politicians and people are like, why the fuck should we have a law about this? This should be like, doesn't, um, wouldn't this be covered by 10 different other things? Wouldn't, uh, w- wouldn't this be covered by fraud? Wouldn't this be covered by, literally by almost anything else? And the fact that it happens so actively much, it, it, it does seem comically evil that, 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 that this is such a common occurrence. Um, for anybody, uh, and and what I mean by common is, you know, as David has said, it's it's about like 15, 17% of the United States population who's t- who has taken a commercial DNA test. And even with that small percentage, we have now found 70 doctors in the United States who have committed fertility fraud. Now, fertility fraud has been committed in other countries as well. We're just talking about the United States. That is a lot. That's a lot of doctors. 70. 70 we have already found. Yeah. And that's to that point that we have found that we found. We know that there's more. I mean, I already know that there's more. They just haven't reported it because I've talked to those donor conceived people going like, yeah, I know. I just don't know what to do with this information yet. I don't know what to do. I know there's more. There are more. But um, oh, my God. Okay, so. And now and now we go into the next part. Uh, Now, I believe we go into the next chapter, which is where things start getting kind of really extra spicy. They, they do indeed. Um, this is going to sound terrible. However, I I am already over on the time that I had booked. Oh, my God. It's OK. I tell you what. 
this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do a, a second episode because we're already easily at an hour and a half. Oh, that's a lot. Okay. That's a lot. Oh, so, so I get a part two? You're wow. going to get you're going to be my first part two. That's what we're going to do. So everybody, you we're just going to me to shut the fuck up at some point. I just kept no! jabbering, jabbering. Because this is all incredible information. So we're going to do a part two. And that's what we're going to do. So everybody, you hang on to your hats. Because I, I, now I'm a little bit more aware of what happened in part two. And I can tell you, ha, it, it, gets, it gets spicy and juicy and uh, terrifying. So we're going to have a part two to this. So you and I will schedule that. You're going to go do your it. shit. And um, yeah, everybody, everybody come back for a part two. Uh, and David, thank you so much for everything that you have shared so far. This is all um, a lot of stuff that actually I didn't know as well, as well as I thought I know. I knew your guys' story. Lots of stuff I didn't know. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back. We're, we're going to awesome. be to continue on this. And I do feel like this story in particular, it deserves two parts. I'm sorry. It ends with a plane crash. It earned. It has earned two parts. Like we all it know does. where this is heading. Well, it has I appreciate earned. that. And and I want to say too before because I know we will come back. But um, but thank you for doing this. And you know there are a lot of people who who care about these these subjects. And I don't know a lot of people who are approaching it with the same even handedness and and research. The amount of time that you've put in to be the subject matter expert on this, and you can bring levity to something so serious and handle it when it needs to be serious too I, I i'm seriously i'm very very grateful for you um and for the people who who listen to you and the platform that you have like you don't have to do this and um oh no i have big... to do this that 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 i i have to there's no the way there's the no compulsion i i understand the compulsion oh, no. but what i will the last part of that though is because of you there are so many people who have called their legislators who have gotten legislative co-sponsors in multiple states and at the federal level you have done that and i'm really grateful for you it's it's thank you. Um, but to me, it's a team effort. Literally talking to another donor conceived person yesterday about how complex this whole world is. And thank God we're all we're all taking on a different task. We've yeah. got the fact that Eve Wiley is our fertility fraud expert. Thank God we need one person to just fucking cover fertility fraud. Then we have other yeah. donor conceived people who are covering different aspects. We have, I mean, you know, the fact that we had you and um you you jacoba maya maya all of our um, carrie all of our amazing amazing fertility fraud group who are brave enough to come forward the fact that you guys were willing to take two days to go lobby and explain your story over and over and over and over again to different congressmen and congressmen's aides we needed that we need we need that and the fact that we have donor conceived people who are willing to fly all over the country in order to tell the story that needs to be told. Thank yeah. God all of us are coming together. We're all all of us together are making this work. And I look at it as my job is communication and outreach. That that's that's going to be my job. But there's no way I could do goddamn Eve's job. Eve is Eve, right. Eve is what what Eve Jacoba, uh, Jillian, all of these amazing people. Everybody, we're handling this all. We're all taking different parts, and everybody is needed. And I'm so yeah. grateful that our community is actively going. What can I do? What is my job? Yeah. What what can it's, I do to help? It's an awesome feeling. Well, you you've said it again. I, I don't need to 
belabor or beat you over the head with my gratitude. So I'll, I'll I'll ease off the gas, but I look forward to part two. I hope they do too. (laughs) And I am, uh, and also I am very grateful that you and Morgan and all of your siblings are coming forward because one pod coming forward can make a difference. And the fact that all of you guys are coming forward is again, it's going to change the history. It's going to change our history and we need it. So thank you. Um, we need it. I can't wait. It's it's happening. It's happening. It is, baby. We're going to be on that on that steps of the Capitol. We're going to be celebrating that passage one day. I know. We're I know go- we're going to be there together doing it. We're going to do it. And um and I will be in my new sperm suit which is actively getting made. I'm getting a new yeah. one made, baby. Say, did you have to have the the old one cleaned? Are you it is too disgusting for me to even put on anymore, okay? It can't be cleaned. Sperm can only be cleaned so much. Thank you. That's that's where I was going with it. Is it, the, there are limitations, you know. Dial is only going to go so far. Oh my god, that thing is so th- synthetic. You know, no soap can help it at this point. Uh, Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers to your old sperm pastor. I mean, you know, bless her. She she did she did great as much as she can. Best purchase I ever made on Amazon. <laughs> um, but we'll be back for part two. Go have a lovely day. Go give your kid a big hug, and uh, and a happy belated birthday to your wife. And we will be back. Thank you so much. Wow. Ah.